and welcome back to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. Uh, we are in the part two of three of our lockdown book club, looking at behind the thistle playing club rugby for playing rugby for Scotland, which uh, is by uh, David Barnes and Peter Burns, and it's a kind of player's eye view of playing for Scotland. Um, rather than look at the, the book as a whole, uh, which is well worth re- your time in reading, obviously, but we thought we'd look at uh, a specific era of Scottish rugby and kind of the, the era of the founding of the blog onwards. So we've decided to reappraise the Frank Haddon, Andy Robinson and Scott Johnson years. So um, if you haven't already listened to it, the last podcast we, we went and covered the Frank Haddon years, not them all, just from the point of view, from the point where we founded the blog onwards. Um, and this episode, we're going to be looking at Andy Robinson, a man whose eyes disappeared further back inside his skull with every match that he uh, coached Scotland until they were barely visible by the end of his tenure. Uh, joining me to um, find out what happened to Andy Robinson's eyes and, and why that happened to him, we have John Anderson. Hi there. And Rory Baldwin. Hello. It could, I mean, he's a vegetarian. It could be that. I'm vegetarian. <laughs> that hasn't happened to me. Just I'm just putting it out there as a theory. Yet. Yeah, true, I'm very sure, true. I'm sure there's an app to make that happen, though. Um, when you, I should say, previously on the Scottish Rugby Podcast, you left us, um, Frank Haddon had been uh, fired or sacked. Eddie Jones was being touted as a possible name as a replacement for him. Uh, however, it was the then Edinburgh coach, Andy Robinson, former England coach, who was given the job. And Scotland had a couple of... You know, it's not. We're not that used to. We had a couple of lines away, and as things being things, the first thing Andy Robinson does is he t- takes. Now these were uncapped internationals, I think. He took Scotland off to play in a the basically like the Six Nations B summer tournament, effectively, John, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they head off to the um, uh, the Nations Cup, isn't yes, it? That's it. Which is straight. It's like a, and he makes Al Kellogg captain. Straight away, so he obviously, I mean, it's, he's Andy Robinson's a former forward, so why not? I knew what he was doing right from the off. I mean, <laughs> he, he had it sorted. Um, Rory, what what did did how, what was how did we? You've been kind of going through the blog. How did we meet the greet the news of Robinson being appointed or, or um, appointed over on the blog? Were we were we happy? I think we were. Yeah, generally generally satisfied. He was the the right man to, for the job. Um, just having a wee look. Look now to see what if we actually said anything um, uh, on when he when it was actually uh, announced. But uh, yeah, I mean, he had, uh, as we talked about, he'd been doing a solid rebuilding job um, for Edinburgh. He'd also been um, he'd also been coaching the Scotland A team as well, and I think that was probably quite useful for him because it gave him some idea of who might be. I think it's probably, even if you're not in charge of one of the pro teams, um, it's probably, you know, it would have been a problem for Vern Cotter probably coming in, is, you know, getting to know the players that you maybe haven't seen before. Um, so I think, you know, him getting a chance to, to coach this sort of next level coming through to give him some idea if there, if there was maybe something, somebody that, the, you know, the, the previous team had, uh, had left out. But... Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, Joe Ansborough, for example, was someone who was who was. Uh, um, 
Yeah, because it taught in the book, um, John, it talks about Robinson pretty much, although never saying it, getting rid of this Fortress Scotland thing altogether. Although that was brought in under Matt Williams, it was kind of sidelined a little bit under Frank Haddon, but not totally. But then Robertson kind of kind of gets rid of it altogether, effectively. I think there was even quotes from the time where he says, we've just got to pick our best players. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's an absolute, absolute sense, really, isn't it? That, you know, we're talking about a country that doesn't have the biggest playing pool. Um, we've never had a massive playing pool in comparison to other nations. So to, to try and do, you know, what Matt Williams obviously started and Frank Haddon kind of silently put up with, um, you know, it's the same as trying, you know, the All Blacks do it by the power of being an All Black. And even then, it's not working now because of money. England get away with it because they've got quite wealthy clubs who, you know, give uh, side benefits to make sure that you'll you'll stay. Um, so for Scotland to attempt to do that with three professional clubs who then became two professional clubs was pretty mad really and you know we, we we talk so much even now about um scottish qualified players at the pro clubs and you know um the situation at loosehead which sandy has obviously spoken at length about you know uh, with with schumann and kebble at the pro clubs keeping out scots qualified players um it was it, it was just it's just not a situation that can ever work for Scotland with with the playing pool we have. Yeah, the the interest the one thing about uh, that comes out in the book and it's again it's um, Chris Cusser is talking about this about how much the, the atmosphere was better in the Scotland camp at this point. He said that that everyone's getting on, um, and that the 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 the, 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 the kind of like the mood in camp is is a bit more positive um almost after that Romania tour and then we go into the autumn and they beat they beat a Fijian team ranked above them which and you forget of course this is this is a time when you know we were regular sort of down the 10 11 12s of the IRV rankings Rory yeah um I mean it was a comfortable not clinical was how how we just described it on the site Um, (laughs) I mean I think I think it's probably it's one it's probably one of these things that Guys like like um, like Custer maybe were you know weren't they hadn't maybe lived through as much of the the dark days of the Williams era so they maybe didn't appreciate Haddon as much so if you if you got your your first caps uh, I'm not sure when Custer was first cap but if you got your first caps in sort of 2007 ish you know that kind of I mean he would have been he would have been around probably before then because he was on the 2005 Lions tour but um, you know by by that point when the the maybe the teams started to take another downward dip, then yeah, you're gonna find you're gonna find it not much fun and it's probably gonna be a, a po- you know a positive contrast when someone comes in and and uh and and you know has a has a slightly just freshens it up. It's almost you you know you quite often see that with a coach. It's just freshness freshness for freshness sake, if that is even a word. Um and I think uh yeah you know you, you see you see that quite a lot. Um Obviously, Robinson had a lot of familiarity with the Edinburgh guys, and you know what he had been doing in Edinburgh had clearly worked. Yeah, and the one thing that that I think Robinson did bring back, and this comes out in the book, and it's something that 
kind of came back to me when we were preparing for this, John, is passion for Scotland. I'm not sure we necessarily got that with Frank Haddon or, or it was never visible if it was there, but you, there was, of course, Andy Robinson's famed box cage of fury at Murrayfield where you would constantly see him like smashing his fists on the doors. <laughs> but it's Al Kellogg who talks about before the Australia game, with the Australia game that, that Scotland win 9-8 at Murrayfield that autumn, that, that uh, Robinson's talking about passion and the need to lift the cloud and give absolutely everything. That, that that he made a big thing of inspiring the nation in the build-up and knowing what a difference you, it would make to, to the performance. So Robinson's is almost... The, that, that's a marked difference, I think, from the Haddon years, that Robinson tries to kind of get the players to embrace their emotions mm-hmm. in the way that they play. Yeah, they, they, were, they were two very different coaches. And, you know, Haddon... Haddon was sadly in that that position as we touched on in the previous pods of kind of bringing back the smile to the face, <laughs> and maybe maybe Robinson was then more about bringing back you know you've got the smile you've got a bit of pride in the jersey and Robinson's more then about kind of bringing back that aggression that grit that Scottish teams have always had you know put to, throughout throughout history teams have hated coming to Murrayfield because the crowd is on top of you and you know the just the general the general atmosphere uh, the scottish players were always you know breakdown was always really hard and um there was such aggression and we we really lost that when we went into kind of certainly when five became six and uh, in the in the, the six nations in 2000 i think we lost a lot of that um and robinson was the, the right choice at the time to try and instill some of that back yeah, I mean, one of the best things, I think the best quote in the book from the Australia game is um, Alex Grove, who says, my best memory and one will probably live with me forever was Al Jacobson in a three-point stance ready to chase down Matt Gitto's <laughs> kick. <laughs> Last-minute conversion. Again, Chunky's doing all the work. He's said, doing all the work. Exactly, and we all charged up as soon as he moved to strike, but I think Chunk outpaced everyone. Of course he did. Yeah. Modern prop. I uh, that 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 win I I, I kind of remember that win quite well because um, the 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 way the Auckland Internationals worked that year it was it was about a week before my birthday um, and my my wife had brought a very nice bottle of whiskey home for my birthday uh, from her work and um, we were watching the end of the game and we just one of my friends said that if Scotland won. Um, we would we would open the bottle and replace it. He would replace it. So we were praying that kick went wide, <laughs> not just for Scotland to win, but um, yeah. Um, and that was a very very messy night. Safe to say. <laughs> did he replace the bottle? With he people? did. Yeah, he did. He came. He came to my birthday party the following week with a brand new bottle. Bless him. Good man. Yeah. True to his word. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching watching that. I mean, that. It, it may not have been the first sort of in, in my lifetime or something, but that was the first time I remember watching uh, Scotland and seeing them, you know, seeing them turn over one of the big um, Southern Hemisphere sides. Yeah, yeah, my, sort of it, with it, my, yeah. my own memories. It's interesting. My uncle that he, he'd, he'd waited his, most of his lifetime to see Scotland turn over. One of the big, um, the, the the big sort of teams at that time, and he, he had a newborn son at the time, and he was, he says it's he it's taken him like three months 
to see yeah. it. He was, um, yeah. He's probably seen it a million. Well, he's seen it quite a few times now. Then, definitely, definitely times, eh? Yeah. It's interesting because in the book, Chris Patterson's quite down on this win. He pretty much says it's all this. This was all down to Australia's mistakes, and yes, we defended with our hearts and we defended well, but we won the game because they missed the kick at the end. Now we can probably put that down to chunk putting Matt Gitto off, but yeah, it's interesting it's that true. there was there is an int- an element of realism within within that as well. Yeah, um, and that's the time when he said that he spoke. It's Chris Patterson says he spoke with Jason White. After the game, and then they realised the only top-ranked team that the Scotland team of the 2000 hadn't beaten was the All Blacks. So for all the doom and gloom around Scottish rugby over the years, that was something pretty significant to bear in mind. I'm not sure ten wins in ten years is something to. <laughs> <laughs> with, with with ten tries in total as yeah. well. Um, <laughs> but did I mean was there a sense on the blog Rory at this time that things were changing? Yeah, I mean, I think we were probably we were intrigued to see um, what what it was, you know, what if his selection policies were going to differ from Haddon's any, um, if there was, uh, it's actually quite confusing going through the old articles because Hoggy keeps being mentioned, but obviously it's Alistair Hogg was Hoggy at that point, <laughs> um, not uh, not Stuart, who was still a still a Cali youth, um, but yeah, I mean, there's. There was a there was a lot a lot of uh, a lot of hope, but at the same time it it was kind of you know the player pool was largely the largely the same. So we were kind of waiting to see what what it was that um, that Robinson Warrenson would do. But we we certainly thought that he would. It's that age old thing that we always hear. We want a, we want a sort of snarling snarling beastie of a coach to fire up our our forwards because. When Scotland packs play with kind of a bit of fire in their bellies, you know the team's that much more effective. And it, it you know, we always seem to find ourselves saying that, even then, even when we've got a coach that d- delivers that, like say Robinson or um, or you know or, or Vern Cotter. I mean, something that I, that I was thinking about looking back at some of the old articles. Um, Alan uh, Alan Dimmock started uh, writing for us around this time as well. So I mean, in terms of the site's evolution it was a it was a bit of a, a leap forward as well as that got us a lot more um a lot more notice and just more articles written in uh, a more professional professional manner um and he he'd uh, he talked about andy robinson loves a kind of a high tempo offloading game and that was what you know his point of difference was going to be and it, that's interesting i just that that's stood out to me when when i was thinking about you know that's the same sort of thing as as cotter came to bring. I mean, Cotter did it because he thought that was the Scottish way. Robinson may have done it because that was maybe his way, but it, it was a, a game that should have naturally suited us. Well, know, but... this is the, the interesting thing is, of course, that you, we, we need to remember who Robinson's attack coach was at the time because part of the thing that sparked me to think about doing this podcast was I did the um, Squidge Rugby's doing a they're looking back at the 2011 World Cup game by game, so they're doing a podcast for every single game in the 2011 World Cup. And we did the, I did the Georgia match with them, which it wasn't as horrendous as I remembered it to being. It was still fairly bad, but you, when you watched Scotland's attack, as ineffective as it was in that game, it was a Townsend attack, and that was a really interesting thing about it. You could see the patterns and you could see the shapes that he that Scotland now run beginning to form you could see the basis of them anyway and you could also the the problem was I think was the execution then 
that you had guys trying offloads about 10 metres from the actual gain line and doing fancy little passes in behind and little little pops but they were nowhere near the defensive lines so it, yeah. just, it looked it looked like a Harlem Globetrotters game but they were just <laughs> it looked really lovely but it wasn't going anywhere and no one was actually making anything but I, I wonder how much the like you were saying I wonder how much at the time we appreciated Rory that that, that attacking game was Townsend rather than Robinson yeah I mean I think the, the offloading thing was more in terms of getting uh you know, scaling a scaling a pack of forwards up so that they could play that game along you know along with the backs. I mean, looking at the 2010 Six Nations squad that that um, Robinson announced, um, it's still largely the same faces. We're seeing more uh, more of the Evans boys, but um, in the backs we've still got uh, Simon Danielli, Custer, Blair, Nick Deluca, um, Phil Goldman. Rudy Jackson's come on the scene now. Sean Lamont's uh, still on the still on the go. Um, Dan Parks is back. Dan Parks. Dan Parks is back. Um, this is also so, the first. Yeah. This is also the first Six Nations that um, Ewan Murray uh, stops playing on Sundays. That's right. Yeah. Which the book, which yeah. the book touches on. It says it's. Um, I didn't really really appreciate the reasons behind that. That he'd had a he'd had a bad knock playing for Glasgow against Munster and had convulsions on the pitch. And mm-hmm. that was what kind of set him to set him to convert. And then this was the first he he turns up for basically a training, I think, and says, "That's it. I'm not playing on Sundays anymore." Yeah. And that he got the full support of the squad by the sounds mm-hmm. of it, which is. I think which you, is, I think you'd have to, even if you didn't, you know, didn't agree with. It. Yeah, you're not going to say. It's, it's, <laughs> come yeah. on, come on, Ewan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did have to. We did start um, when we announced the. Started announcing teams that would be unavailable due to injury and unavailable due to Jesus if the game was on Sunday. <laughs> I know I noticed that in a few of the posts I was going through. We used to, we used to crack more jokes, possibly in worse taste as well. <laughs> um, this was a really hateful um, Six Nations for Scotland because it includes that game, the <sighs> Wales game, and we talk. I think I think probably one of the things that's going to come out of these podcasts that we're doing is that. Scotland games against Wales are cursed for Scotland because yeah. I mean Scotland lose 18-9 to France in the opening game there's a there's a bit in the book where Chris Cusseter talks about the fact that they built themselves up after a decent um, after a decent autumn to again this is our big chance but the the Wales game is the one where Chris Patterson goes off with two tears and lacerations to his kidneys 50 minutes into his 100th cap. Rory Lamont has an ankle injury that ends his season. And then Tom Evans has his career-ending spinal injury. And not only that, then Scotland end up playing with 13 men at the end of the game with, I think, one of... Mike Blair on the wing, I think. Mike Blair on the wing, yep. Yeah. And it's just utterly... But then it's, you know, there's... That this is also again it comes out in the book Mike Blair talking about that Dan Parks controlling the game brilliantly at 10 this is almost Dan Parks has come back from the wilderness kind of giving Scotland the 10 they need at that point um, yeah I mean he had his, he had a, his moments and obviously 2010 was the, uh, the Croke Park game as well in, in Dublin yep. was it not so the, you know it went from the ridiculous to the sublime if you like um, but yeah it was yeah that was a that was a crazy, crazy game. Oh, look, there's me. 
there's me slagging off Graham Morrison again. <laughs> oh dear. Sorry, Graham. I was in a small pub um, just around the corner from the Millennium Stadium for that game. We, we were on tour down in Wales uh, for that game. And there was four. Uh, I'd, I'd ended up kind of buddying up with the old-timers. Um, I just thought, you know, pair up with the experience. These guys have toured. They know what they're doing. Um, we ended up in this bar. There was four Scotsmen and, I mean... Must have been about three hundred Welsh folk, um, and their faces for the first like seventy minutes of that game were brilliant. It was a picture when we were jumping about and doing you know usual Scottish things, and then yeah, it just it just went so badly wrong. And all we had to do was kick the bloody ball out. I know. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I'm still in therapy about this. My brother, um, my brother met Warren Gatlin in a nightclub in Cardiff that night and told them he was lucky. <laughs> so that's what he's got against Scott. That's it. It was yeah. my brother, my brother, drunkenly telling him that he was he was lucky. Um, there was also that, and I was at this Calcutta Cup match that year because this was the fifteen-all draw. <laughs> <laughs> I might try and dig this game out as well because the Georgia game wasn't bad as I remember it, but this was a horrible game to be at. It yeah, just wasn't. Yeah, I saw that. Saw that there was a. I just. It, I think I wiped it from my memory. I mean, I was over in Ireland uh, for the the Ireland game, but yeah, I don't don't remember the Calcutta Cup at all. It was just. I don't. There were no tries. It was all kicks, all penalties. Well, this was the, the kind of golden era of uh, of of Mossy kicking everything. Yeah, uh, Scotland. We, we back, scored. Well, there was one drop goal. Else. I think Dan Park's got a drop goal. And oh, yeah, drop gold. obviously, yeah. Yeah. Drop gold yeah. Um, and then there's um, then there's that game, the 2023 win at Ireland at Croke Park, the last game Ireland played at Croke Park, and, and Scotland win, yeah, with, that was a beauty with, with that game. And that's, I mean, that's the kind of beginning and end of the Killer Bees because we have this, everyone's got this great memory of the Killer Bees being a thing, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was just because it was Glasgow, John, but. I think I don't actually think they play that much together for Scotland, other than this game. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think because they played at club level together, people had this this great idea, and you know, people forget how attritional international rugby is. The the opportunity to put the same fifteen out doesn't often happen, and so to have this. Um, this this um, kind of team within a team um, that we we kind of worship or hero worship when actually I'd be interested to see here how many games they actually played for Scotland together. I don't think it'll be many. Certainly not starting. I don't think. No. 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 They all kind of had the, they all kind of had periods of so within the, their relative positions they all had periods where they were kind of first choice. But I don't think they ever had a period of all being first choice at the same time. No, because we I know we'll probably come on this in the Scott Johnson podcast, but there was that period where inexplicably Scotland's refused to field an open side of any description. Yeah. And played two sixes yeah. in an eight. Especially yeah. not John Barkley. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, well, I mean, interesting speaking of open sides, one of the one of the things that Robinson will probably be remembered for in certain circles of Edinburgh will be for not capping Roddy Grant. Yes. 
Yes, I think we could. Well, that's Robinson and Johnson. I think both. Yeah, both both take the carry the can for that one. Which was but, just yeah. it's, it's a great myth as to why that happened. I mean, there were other open sides available, obviously, but for that for for him never to have been capped at, at Scotland level, just is I I don't there was never an explanation for it. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, he he was definitely good enough, and he was as tall as some other guys that did get capped. So the height thing is a nonsense, especially when you consider the strength that the man had. And if you look, I mean, if you if you've spent the last few days wading through old posts, there's some names in there. I was just like, who? <laughs> who are you know getting caps for Scotland in in that kind of Haddon late Haddon period and early Robinson and Alan certainly Mc... some of the A team, yeah, guys like that. Alan McDonald, yeah, who, played, who um, came out at centre in the Wales game, who was a substitute flanker. That's where that's maybe where Robbo got the Richie Vernon idea from, though. Yeah, well, they're true. Um, the um, the one interesting thing was uh, there was a nice story about um, there was something nice that um, Johnny Sexton did, which is it's rare to find this. Uh, but Johnny Sexton let um, went, went went to swap shirts with Dan Parks, but Johnny Sexton let Dan Parks take not only Johnny Sexton's shirt but keep his own, and said. That was it's. He said it's your day, so Johnny Sexton does have a, a heart after all. So that was that was that was when Sexton was quite young, though, wasn't well, it? Well, true. So young, young and respectful. Yeah, hadn't quite developed his uh, his Sexton streak by that point. Yeah. No. Um. The next thing is if again, and this is quite a famous tour of Scotland to Argentina, two winning two back to back tests. Mm-hmm. Again, this is one of my favourite away tours of, of of watching Scotland from like the mid nineties. This is one of my favourite away tours that I've ever watched. It was brilliant. Is that just because we won, John? Or yes. Was it... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. No. 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 The, there was a lot of things kind of fell into play. Yes, it helps that we won. Um, I'm not going to. Um, kid on that's not a thing but the type i think the type of rugby we played we we were playing against a very good team argentina were well thought of uh, after their you know even three years later uh from the world cup in 2007 they were still kind of being thought of as this really exciting team and we kind of went out there and we scored some tries we we played we just played some good rugby uh and it was it was great to watch yeah, I mean it's interesting. They recalled Scott McLeod for that tour, who yep. who hadn't been capped for two years at that point, which is really which is a bit odd. But um, the Dan Parks is t- talks in the book about the the confidence being there, and it maybe felt like things were on the up up. Certainly, Rory. I mean, the, at this point, I was surprised to see that um, the SRU handed Andy Robinson a contract extension to twenty the twenty fifteen World Cup. Yes, that didn't work so well. No, um, no. Yeah, I mean that after the after the twenty ten uh, Six Nations, there was there was rumours. I think that Bristol were after him, whether they were true or not. I don't think ever. We they they got him eventually, didn't they? Because he ended up there, did he not? He did yeah, only he did. after only yeah. after he walked from the Scotland job. But um, yeah, yeah. So well, we'll he got given that. a contract. Hashtag spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, interesting uh, the. First test in uh, first test in Argentina. Uh, Rory, Rory Lawson. That was one of his uh, one of his 
his uh, best games for, for Scotland, probably. Um, I can vaguely remember watching it. It's interesting to see, though, that the referee was uh, Dave Pearson, who is currently the SRU's refereeing consultant, ah. or at least was last last I checked. He sometimes sits uh, sits behind us in the press box, reviewing the reviewing the referees, which I'm sure his his refereeing of that game probably endeared him to a uh, to the to the SRU <laughs> hierarchy. So you're suggesting we picked a man for a role based on the fact that we liked him rather than the fact he was the right man for the role. Well, obviously, I mean, he was a bit, he was a, a a good referee as well, but he was a good a good referee in in a game that Scotland were probably not expected to win. But uh, yeah, it was uh, that was a good uh, good test series. Um, strange though, again, two two games. You know, it, it's well, it's still been a been a long time since Scotland have played a three test series against the same team mm, yep. uh, some uh, other nations still seem to be able to do it I mean when I was coming through the blog I don't think it was this year it was probably back in the late Haddon years or possibly uh, really early in Robinson's tenure but I think it was late in Haddon I found an article saying that Scotland had applied we couldn't get I think it, uh, I don't know if it was when the Lions were on or um or what, what we were doing when we couldn't get a summer tour or something, but Scotland had actually applied to do a tour of New Zealand and play against super rugby teams, not play the All Blacks at all, which <laughs> certainly would have fit in with my mindset at the time. But that just, you know, it goes to show the kind of, the while we're always looking at it through thistle-tinted spectacles, there's um, out, out there in the bad world, you know, Scotland weren't really viewed as much of a, as much of a, much of a challenge. So actually, I mean, knocking off Argentina in there, in their their own backyard, would have made would have made people sit up a bit. I think. Yeah, and I think and I think that's it. It does. It kind of maybe speaks a bit more that there was a bit of optimism around Scotland at this time. Certainly, then we we moving the autumn. You have we, we lose three forty nine to New Zealand, um, which isn't isn't the greatest of starts. But then this is the the South Africa win, the twenty one seventeen South Africa win, which is which is pretty convincing at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, I, for for the way we we played at the time, it was quite a. It was a surprise. Obviously, a surprise. Any win against South Africa is usually a surprise win, but um, this one, this one in particular, particularly because the New Zealand game had went so badly wrong, uh, to kind of pick themselves up and and don't forget South Africa were world champions at the time as well. Um, so you know, to be able to kind of put in in that performance, it was very surprising. And this is Richie Gray's debut as well, which the... I didn't realize was so. Was it the the New Zealand? Is that the New Zealand game? The New Zealand the, game. New Zealand made, game was his he, debut, but he made, yeah, he makes his debut in this autumn series. Yeah, yeah, he gets he gets he says there he's got his first three caps off the bench, but then he gets his first start against New Zealand, which we do have a habit of doing that with. Kind of players, don't we? Let's just throw them in against New Zealand. <laughs> if you're looking for a laugh, actually, the uh, the match report for the um, for that South Africa game, I, I managed to find some uh, some preview quotes from the South African press about how they were going to steamroller Scotland, which I put up at the top of the art- article, which is um, which is quite en- quite entertaining. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, this was this was Barkley again. Barkley, you know, the killer bees may have not been consistently picked but uh, Barkley was still pretty young at this point but was really starting to come onto a game 
um, really starting to show some, show you know, put some great performances together. Yeah, I mean, this, there's a quote here from Nathan Hines in the book, which I think is more frustrating than anything else because this is what Scotland consistently fail to do, but when they do it, they do well, which is says, um, forward dominance is the Springboks' plan A, so you have to take that away from them and make them think outside the box, then make them come out of their comfort zone. We did that really well in their fit really well getting in their faces um i knew at half time that we had to put the foot back on the gas and try to stop them getting into our half and we did that pretty well they scored at the end but that was through a bit of luck and gave the scoreboard a tighter finish than perhaps deserved because we played well and controlled things most of the game and i think it's that it's weird that that's been recognized or was recognized at the time as something Scotland needed to do, but that Scotland have never been able to consistently get in the, in the faces of the opposition and, and kind of take a, take a stranglehold on, on a game. I mean, the only game I can really think of it where Scotland have been absolutely properly ruthless is the, uh, Gregor Townsend's win against Australia. I think it's what that, that first autumn series yeah. that he took charge of. It's the only t- other time Scotland have absolutely have, have been properly ruthless. Yeah, I would say so. And I mean, it is it's it's uh, it's the age old game that all of the coaches that we're discussing in the series of, of Potter are facing. It's like a game of whack a mole. You get the you <laughs> get the squad to to front up and be physical, and then you know the back can't the backs can't score tries for Toffee and they drop the ball. You get the backs catching the ball and getting into the positions and then the you know the the set piece gets gets torn apart and then you get the set piece fixed and then the defence goes to pieces and it's it's trying it's trying to get consistency is just is the thing that the coaches have struggled for. Yeah. And then because it's Scotland, John, um we have a we have a very good autumn and then an absolutely terrible Six Nations after giving a man uh, after giving man a contract till twenty fifteen. Uh, yeah, five a five year extension. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean like not being funny, but I I think I've talked in this pod before about the um the the coach the coach bounce and the, there was an argument to put you know, all coaches on temporary contracts at all times, like short temporary contracts of six-month windows, um, because we seem to have that situation with coaches that they go well for the first six months and then we give them an extension and then things very quickly head down down the hill. Um, so, but there's also a pattern with these things that if we have a good autumn, you can almost guarantee that you better not put money on Scotland to do well in the Six Nations coming up. Yeah. Happens every time. Yes. Oh. <laughs> we beat Italy. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> the France game was close that year. To be fair, I think the France game would be probably... The, the, the Wales get. I think that, again, the results are probably getting tighter. I think if, if you're looking for a trend or something to read into, you know, the, France away 34-21. I mean, scoring France... 21 points past France under another era is, is unheard of. The Wales game, 624, I've got vague memories of that game just being horrendous. The book doesn't really touch up, jump straight to uh, the World Cup and doesn't really touch on the Six Nations, probably quite rightly because there's not much to write home about. It's uh, 1821 uh, lost to Ireland and then 2216 lost down at Twickenham. But again, losing by, what, six points? Down at Twickenham, isn't it's not a bad return <laughs> given some of the results we've had down there. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was probably his, uh, you know, 
the going for going for a you know a Calcutta Cup in Twickenham. That would be the game that Andy Robinson would get fired up for in and of himself, just because you know it's a the kind of old field employers and yeah, it's not surprising that that was a close one. But uh, overall, it wasn't a great wasn't a great Six Nations and didn't really build put that well for the World Cup. Yeah. Do you want to take a guess how many tries Scotland scored in that Six Nations? I would imagine it wasn't many because that sound seems to be, it was around the time, that was around the time when they were, they had a bit of a drought, wasn't it? I'm going to say that because all those, well, in fact, all those numbers apart from the England game are divisible by three, which makes me think <laughs> that we just scored a lot of penalties. So I'm going to say we scored one and we scored it against England. So we, we scored more than one try. Oh. Um, we didn't score many more than one try. Uh, we, 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 we scored uh, six tries in total. We actually scored three tries away against France. Uh, so Kellogg, Brown and Lamont uh, got on the scoreboard. Um, we also, so we then didn't score any tries against Wales, didn't score any against Ireland, um, and we got a late, late try. Um, Max Evans got a late try against England. Oh, that was a good try. I remember that one now. It was. I, yeah. and, and then we scored a couple um, a couple against Italy as well. So yeah. six six tries. I remember. I actually remember the, the tries against Italy because I remember the, the Nicky Walker try thinking it was an absolute belter of a try. Um, but um, I'm maybe thinking that was... My, my mind might be playing tricks on me. Yeah. I don't know what happens to Andy Robinson at this point because I don't know if he just starts to doubt his, his self and doubt his plan because there's a bit in the book where Chris Cusseter said that um, Andy Robinson starts taking this, the, the um, take some of the fitness drills himself. <laughs> says, I think we were doing some drills he used to do at Bath when he was playing, old school to say the least. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's trying to change things and, yeah, maybe the the players didn't quite react to that. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, actually, skimming through the blogs, this, um, in the build-up to the World Cup, there was also um, the under-20s championship, which, you know, Scotland didn't cover themselves in glory much, but um, Stuart Hogg and Mark Bennett were playing in that, and there's a couple of names that, are obviously a big part of the big part of the current um, renaissance, if you like. Well, I think starting the, to starting to just creep through into the into the scene. When the training squad for that World Cup, Greg Laidlaw and David Denton were named. Yep. Which is yep. Actually, Laidlaw. It was a bit of a surprise he didn't go. Yeah, I mean, is it? And I think it was a, another Dimmick piece. He was saying, you know that. That squad, he's basically named. I think it was it was either that or one of his Six Nations squad. Robinson basically named four, four nines and four tens. Although Greg Lloyd Law was one of each, um, and just he, it showed that he didn't really know which one was. You know, he didn't really know his halfback combination. He didn't which were his best, um, because having four of each in a in a training squad is probably probably one too many, um, possibly two too many. Um, certainly, for a guy who's been in charge of the team and been around the players for for that long, he should have, you know, he should know, know have a bit more. And there was this kind of slightly indecisive thing with selection in terms of shuffling about um, that that went on around this time, and we saw it going into the World Cup as well. 
Um, well, yeah, the big thing in the World Cup, from my memory and and from reading the book as well, is that he could never he couldn't settle on whether he was going to go with Dan Parks or Rory Jackson as yeah. his first choice ten. And there was always I think I mean Rory Jackson was fairly young at this point, but he was a, he was yeah. very he had a lot of promise. I think he, there's a lot of you know it was a good attacking ten, but he maybe yeah. didn't have the the kind of. I don't want to say accuracy of Dan Parks because we'll put, I'm going to touch on the Georgia game in a minute, but it's not. It, he he plays the game in a different way, I guess. Maybe the, the, it's a bit more high risk, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and that is, it's, it's strange because people would have probably assumed that Robinson wasn't very high risk, but actually he, you know, he did like a team that played a bit of rugby. Yeah. I think that's it because I watched when I watched the Georgia game back with um, for the Squidge podcast. They, they were play, they were chucking it about a bit. I mean, nobody scored any tries in that game. Dan Park's kicking uh, success rate. Anyone have a guess at Dan Park's kicking success rate in that Georgia game? Because you've mentioned it, it's got to be low. Let's 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 go fifty percent. Yeah, fifty percent. Fifty percent was his kicking success for that game. Inexplicably. He nails them from the touchline, but misses yeah. two in front of the posts. It's just, it's just peak. This, this how how bit... many drop goals under the bar did he get? <laughs> <laughs> one, I think. Did he? He gets one under the bar. The um, the other great thing as well is he manages also to um, mess up two clearing kicks right at the death of half time as well one of which he's he's charged down whilst kicking the ball sideways off the pitch i don't oh, even know yeah. how you managed to get charged <laughs> down kicking a ball sideways off a pitch i do remember um the the neutrals of invercargill were quite bemused by that that particular <laughs> game as they probably thought they were watching the rugby world cup and we're surprised to see that Scott and Romania didn't live up to the standards of the All Blacks. Yeah. The Romania game was a strange one as well because Scotland really um, struggled in that game. They were behind as well for until I think. It, yeah. Is it Sam and Danielli scored with them on the last game, the last yeah. tries? Yeah, but Richie Vernon uh, turned on the burners and uh, and put, put Danielli through. That was a. Uh, yeah, that, that saved, saved, some, saved some blushes. Yeah. Um, there was a, I mean, it was a, it was a, a, there were two halves to that game. Um, Scotland were, were doing pretty well in the first half, but Romania came out really fired up in the second half and suddenly were getting an edge in the set piece and Scotland kind of quailed a little bit. Plus the neutrals were supporting the underdogs so that, you know, every time the Romania had the momentum with them. Um, but, yeah. uh, but, but then once Romania took the lead, you know, some of the guys, some of the guys around us started supporting Scotland because they, you know, whoever the underdog is during the course of the game will be the one that. Will be the <laughs> yeah, uh, Richie Vernon pretty much got us out of jail at that one. I think. Yeah, thirty-four twenty. Scotland should never win a game thirty-four twenty-four against Romania. That's yeah. not. That's not a good. That's not a good result. And then, then the, I mean, there's the, the classic Argentina, the infamous Argentina game with Contaponi about a hundred yards offside. <laughs> uh, see that's it that's annoying because I mean these because these games I was at them all and they bring back such happy memories of the times everything apart from the rugby um, <laughs> but I mean you know Romania they got their uh, they got their five point bonus try and then yeah Wellington was 
um, that you know that was that was a great uh, great atmosphere in the stadium. But uh, yeah. And even the England game, Scott. I mean, I'm going to read I'm, the, the quote from the book of Dan Parks for the Contepony uh, offside. Is is just it's this is peak Dan Parks. So what he says is Contepony was totally offside, but I wasn't actually calling for the ball. It just came to me quite suddenly, and I couldn't go off my right foot because there was too much pressure. And I don't know if I had ever attempted a left foot drop goal in my life. <laughs> Argentina got away with it that day. It's hard to look back on, but it's just one of those things. There's, there's a, I don't know. I think we should just move on because. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got, uh, I've got the the re- the report here, and I was uh, after the kind of gloom of realizing what they were going to have to do against England in that final final group game. Um, I, I'd written, uh, you know, for quite some time, I've been steadfast in my position that if the current group of players clicked, we could do some damage to anyone, maybe except the All Blacks. So far, the performances we have seen have just asked the question, what if we're really not that much better than Georgia? Should we accept our place in the rugby pecking order? Maybe DeLuca will never capitalise on his promise. Maybe Mossy can't tackle after all. And maybe Dan Parks really is rubbish at kicking with his left foot. Um, you know, so that maybe this was the beginning of the... This is the beginning of the end of my optimistic period and and settled into the kind of hard-baked cynicism with which I greet. Yeah. Done. Yeah. The um, yeah, go yeah, on, John. Was the time that you had King Ritchie writing for the blog? Of course. Yeah. Um. He was. Uh. He'd come up through. I think like the age grades with with Alan uh, Demick. They were quite good mates. So he arranged. Uh, he may have ghostwritten them. I never really found out. But he arranged for uh, for Ritchie, first of his first of his name to um. To, to send us some uh, diaries. There are a few kicking about. We had some sevens ones from uh, Colin Gregor and uh, Pete Horn, I think, as well, at some yep. point when he was playing sevens back in the back in the day. Um, so if there are any uh, any professionals out there who want to write a column for free or have us ghostwrite you a column, um, just get in touch. Yeah, we'll happily do that. Um, the um, th- th- this I started writing for the blog at this point. I think I wrote my first article post this World Cup about um, how how England had changed under Stuart Lancaster, and we shouldn't expect this, you know, dwarf tossing um, lads it wasn't to a... as an article about music that you were trying to get um, some SEO juice for your own blog. <laughs> was that some, no? Some, that something was about something about singing singing songs at Murrayfield, or uh, I, I came across that earlier. No, I I don't. I think I, the the my singing at Murrayfield article was about a year later. I think or was it short? It might have been shortly after this. I'm sure my first one was the um, was was the England preview. I may have gone to. I think I did go to that. I think I may have wrote this the singing one shortly afterwards because I went to this the, this Calcutta Cup match. No, yeah. I wasn't. No, I was at home for this Calcutta Cup match because I remember watching it with friends. I remember what this was the one where Dan Parks effectively retired after the World Cup, but Andy Robinson persuaded him to stay on for the Six Nations, and then he got charged down by Charlie Hodgson. Uh, yeah, it was a, tires. It wasn't like a Gregor Townsend fake fake call up to the squad. He did actually give him a game and then, and yeah. Told, yeah, bye bye, bye bye. Because this was a, again, this is uh, Robinson. This is when we start getting Greg Laidlaw at ten. Yeah, this is probably also um, Twitter starts to come into its own as a thing. I, I saw a piece that I'd mentioned Nick DeLuca coming off Twitter. I think so. Parks obviously knew after that charge down it just wasn't the hassle wasn't worth it. Yeah. 
I think that was after the was it that after the Italy game? I think he came off Twitter because he got he was carded in one of the games, and he comes yeah. off Twitter. So I think you probably you're probably right. But I get I think around this time, Robinson's obviously trying to rebuild because Denton gets a game. Laidlaw's put in at ten after Parks, um, after after Parks retires after the one game against England, and you get a sense almost that that, that Robinson is trying to rebuild to build something at that point. And, and rebuild after the World Cup, which I'm not entirely sure that Haddon did, John. Yeah, yeah, I think there there was more of a... Um, it's, it's interesting that Rory said earlier on that Robinson was more of a risk-taker. Um, I, I think that I think that rings true here as well. He was more... Um, possibly through, I think, through force in some cases, you know, um, as you rightly say... Um, Dan Parks had had enough after the World Cup anyway and was kind of bullied into one more game, uh, which obviously didn't go well. But I think Robinson was keen on on taking those risks and you, you just need to look at the number of times, you know, we said Rudy Jackson started quite a few times in the previous Six Nations and went to the World Cup and, and then Wade Law kind of coming, coming from nowhere um, as a 10 uh, interesting call when you look back on it now um, yeah I mean the tw- 2012 Six Nations was the first probably in the lifetime of the blog that Chris Patterson hadn't been involved either because yeah. he retired he retired just before that about the same time as Johnny Wilkinson and of course the Wales game 2012 where we got I think Lee Jones comes in and we, this is the thing that comes back to Ken Scotland playing attacking rugby. Gregor Townsend's off, I think, after the Six Nations. Goes off after the Six Nations and is appointed Glasgow coach. Um, Robinson brings in Scott Johnson and um, the uh, a new defence coach. He brings in... Who's just left? The defence coach has just left. The name has completely gone out of my head. What, at that point? Yeah, who's just who's just the, the it wasn't Graham Steadman, was it? No, it wasn't Graham Steadman. Went and in came the Australian coach that's just gone in the last. Matt oh, um, Matt Taylor. Matt Taylor. That's, that's it. I don't know why the, the name just completely. All I had was Matt Williams stuck in my head. I couldn't shift it. But yeah, Matt. So he brings in Matt Taylor and Scott Johnson when Townsend goes to um, goes to Glasgow. But there is a, a Stuart Hogg makes his debut, I think, uh, against Wales because certainly yeah. yeah. Yep. There's that, and as well, there's the A game, of course, the infamous A game against England that year, the 35 0 A game yeah. um, win. Where, and there's a, a quite a fair kind of smattering of current or just recently retired internationals were playing in that game as well. It was quite a strong, strong team, yeah. I mean, I think they did not even get like, was that Ali Hogg not come out of retirement for that, or is that I think that's maybe did. an earlier one? Yeah, no, I think there's yeah, you've got Ryan Grant, Ryan Wilson, I think, was on the bench. But the England team was good. They had Nick Aberdeen at fullback. Ugo Monia was playing that game. Coached by the legend that is Michael Bradley. Oh, there you go. That's where there you go. The man, the man waiting to take over the reins. In fact, yes, because should Scotland rename the A team? That was your first first comment that you posted on the podcast. Ah, that was it. Which I said this should be the Scottish Amaze Balls. <laughs> and you promised, you promised you were going to start printing T-shirts, Rory. 
Did I? You said you were looking oh. to print it, getting t-shirts made well, up for... Um, well, you know, you know what you're doing tomorrow then, aren't you? <laughs> Designing a Scottish Amazeballs t-shirt. <laughs> um, the, uh, but there's definitely, he definitely is rebuilding. And then there's that great... that, that uh, Probably one of the classic Scottish summer tours, really. You've got this, the, the infamous 6-9 winner way to Australia, which everyone remembers, I think, for... Um, the Johannesboro and uh, Arstrokov <laughs> celebration, smashing their heads together. Yeah, and then there's the wins in Fiji and Samoa, which includes Tim Visser's debut. Yep, because he yeah. he becomes Scots qualified during that tour. That's right. I was so excited for that happening. I, I oh yeah, I, I loved big time at the time. But and then the, to me now. and this is the thing. What I can't. I think yeah. The the thing that I kind of like was was thinking about with with the end of the Robinson era when I was looking back at this was that the that New Zealand game I remember I was I watched and I was drunk when I watched it I'll, I'll admit um, but I I remember being coming away feeling very positive about that New Zealand win because we scored tries against the All Blacks. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was suddenly a, scored tries again. And it and it felt a little bit positive because you know I think we'd probably seen we thought okay we've got we we're capable of putting a pack together we can make a pack that clicks on some days they don't click every day but they can but the thing that had been missing had been a bit of backline can now since you know yeah since two thousand and seven and before so finally getting some finishing happening it seemed uh, it was yeah it's quite exciting yeah and then. Then, but then it all falls apart. So there's that South Africa game I remember being particularly bad, and then there's the Tonga game that does it for Andy Robinson. And you wonder, I mean, he walks. That's the interesting thing with Robinson is Robinson walks rather than than is pushed. And overall, it was a bad year for Scotland. But given they'd beaten Australia, they'd had a good summer. They'd run New Zealand close. How bad a you know? I'm not sure any other Scotland coach would. I'm not. I, th- I think other Scotland coaches would have survived that. Yeah, um, I think this was back in the good old days where if something unthinkable happened, you you just fell on your sword and chain. Um, whereas these days, you just you know, you just um, tell the press they're talking rubbish and get on with it. <laughs> just ignore them. Um, yeah, I mean, I was at that. Uh, I was at that uh, press conference after the Tonga game and you could almost see from Robinson, he's, uh, he was just kind of, he, he, he couldn't really explain. I think he couldn't really explain why that game had happened, why that Scotland had performed like the way they did. And I think he realized that if you, if you don't know that, then maybe the, you know, maybe you've, you've taken them as far as you can go. I don't, I, I don't know. Cause it, but as you say, there were, there were some pretty good results and he had been, had been doing it well, but again, it was that he maybe just thought, well, I don't know how to make them consistent. Mm. I don't know how to make them turn up for the games that they don't need to turn up for, rather than just the the cups, you know, and that sort of thing. I mean, I remember seeing um, Hoggy was still probably, you know, he was in his first season of internationals then, I think. Yep. Um, I remember seeing him kind of walking along the side of the pitch at Pataudry after he'd, you know, got a suit on and stuff looking just absolutely despondent and you could tell them what that you know what playing for his country means you know meant to him but want... it's more than just having that passion really isn't yeah it? i think that's it. i think one thing al kellogg talks about in the book is that 
how much Robinson set standards for them, and that that hadn't re- and, and and no excuse culture, which hadn't really been a well, sounds like it hadn't really been a thing before. Yeah. And particularly when you read the book, and there are, there are the excuses of oh, it was injuries, and it was if only we'd just on the day done a bit better, or the opposition had done a bit worse, we would have been okay. That the tone of the book changes at this point, and there really is a, a kind of no that no excuse culture comes through. There's you got the there's a quote from Greg Gladelot that just said. After that game, it was the lowest feeling ever, the worst. The changing room was mayhem, boys crying and people saying, where do we go from here? We knew we'd let the jersey down, let down the country. Andy Robinson said after the game was like a coach killer. We'd come off the back yeah. of a good tour and maybe went into thinking we'd already beaten Fiji in some more away, so it won't be that hard a game. And they caught us on the hop. It was unacceptable, totally unacceptable. It's a horrible memory. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, it was freezing so it's a horrible memory for me as well but <laughs> having, to, having to try and having to try and type through it but yeah it, it was it was a coach killer and it and it uh and uh yeah i think he just it mu- i mean it must be it must be frustrating because you know what you're trying to get them to do and and they've done and it if they don't do it and they've done it yeah and you've seen them do it and then they don't do it I mean, it's again. It's something that we banged on and on about. It's that psychological aspect. It's how do you prepare your team so that they know every time exactly what they need to do, you know. And and we think based on what we saw in the last Six Nations, but maybe that Scotland are finally starting to twig that. And even that was after a disastrous World Cup that almost, you know, could have could have potentially cost Tooney his, his job if the Doomsday Clock had uh, ticked over a little bit more. Um, <laughs> You know, but then he 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 adapted and changed. But you know, if that had been Andy Robinson, he might have just quit. Yeah, and I think that's it. Though, in this, the the story so far is that Scotland have always adapted and changed, but not consistently enough to progress. I guess. Well, there, there's been progress, but it's not it's not been consistent. Yeah, the selection was inconsistent, and the the players' performances have been inconsistent. I mean, whether that's down. Whether the selection doesn't help that, I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's tricky. It's the it's the tombola issue. Yeah. I mean, and I think another interesting um, legacy of of Robinson's time for me was it, that was kind of peak project player time. That was obviously Tim Visser. Um, that was when Nell and Josh Strauss were signed. Although we didn't maybe see the the bet, you know, see them in Scotland shirts until. Um, until you know a coaching regime or two into the future but uh that was you know around it was around that time that suddenly there seemed to be a lot of players outside of the kind of traditional scottish club structures that were that were pitching up i mean there's the project players and then there's also the i guess the the hudat players like sean maitland or david denton who were already qualified but who you know maybe escaped our our radar and i mean that's had the that certainly had a legacy in terms of commenters on the blog and beyond looking for Scottish grannies in any super rugby squad that they can find. Of course, the, well, the Tonga game was Tom Heathcote's debut. Yeah. Which is the great white hope of, of, of Scottish 10s that that was going to allow Greg Laidlaw to shift back to nine and, and he was going to come in and be the... Yeah. Because his dad, he'd been born in Aberdeen when his dad was stationed there. I think, uh, I think it was Inverness, actually. Was it Inverness? Yeah. Right up in the Highlands, yeah. Inverness, yeah. So yeah, um, I think that's as good point as any to leave at the Andy Robinson years. There was pro. I, I think there's progress. You can see Scotland have toughened up, maybe John. Yeah, I think I think 
toughened up. I think they've got more of an idea of what they're trying to do. Um, they've still not got the personnel, but I think, yeah, I think Robinson, I think he absolutely did realise that he had gone as far as he could with that group of players and um, not not being funny about it, but his, his health was probably worth more <laughs> than, than, trying, than trying to, you know, deal with that level of inconsistency um so time, and, time and, to... and that level of fury i don't think you could sustain that level of fury trapped no. inside a glass box no no Murrayfield. it's, it's, it's going to it's going to end badly for the glass <laughs> and the person so um a good time to walk away although um but again like we said in the previous podcast um shoots of hope mm. um shooting Shooting skywards. So we'll 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 come come in and look to see how uh, what happened next. Because of course the next thing that happens is we have a care we have an interim caretaker boss. Because somehow Scott Johnson goes from being appointed as assistant coach to Andy Robinson to grabbing someone in a corridor somewhere in Murrayfield and persuading them to make him director of rugby. But we'll we'll save that for the next episode. Uh, for the moment though, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from John and Rory. Goodbye. Goodbye.